0: Let Your Heart Grow podcast is a place for anyone who wants room at the table and is ready to open themselves to seeing in the world a little bit differently. Now, it's time to let
1: your heart grow. Happy November, friends.
0: I'm so glad to have you here with me. This month is National Adoption Month. And this particular month is a little special for me because I'm an adoptive parent. I have been a foster parent for the state of Utah
1: for just over nine years now. And I was able to adopt two beautiful daughters um, from the foster care system. So adoption has
0: a special place in my heart as it's a big part of the story of how my family came to be. So this month is when I get to reflect on that story,
1: I get to share it, I get to tell others about adoption, but I also get to listen to other people's stories and learn from their experiences and to see how adoption is different for every person that's involved in it. Many people look at adoption as a new beginning or a happy ending. I have learned that adoption Isn't simply a beginning or an ending. It's a bittersweet stepping stone on a journey that impacts many people, not simply just the child. In today's episode, I would like to share my story of adoption, what led me to consider adoption, what led me to foster care, what my goals were, how my viewpoints changed. As I had my first placement, the many people that are impacted by adoption, why adoption is needed, and what can each of us do to be a part of that story. Let's go back to where adoption first came to my life. I was in my early 20s, 19, 20 years old. And I was given a spiritual impression where I knew that adoption was going to be a part of my family's story. The impression didn't really leave me with any specifics. And actually what I had imagined adoption would be like wasn't even close to the impression I had. But I believe that that impression was an important part of this journey because it's what prepared my heart. When the time came to start my adoption journey, I already knew it was something I was supposed to do, so it was easy to say yes when it started to feel right. Fast forward um, about 15 years. So there was this one Saturday in the summer of 2013. My mom and I met up to go to a water class at the local rec center.
0: When we were driving, my mom made a comment and said, I had a dream about you last night. And I kind of laughed and said, oh, yeah, what was that about?
1: He goes, well, I finally got you to clean out that spare bedroom of mine. You adopted a baby. And I laughed at that because one, that spare bedroom was pretty bad. And two, because I'd pushed away the hopes and desires of having children. I was in my mid 30s and I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. And in my faith, family is the core principle of our belief system. Families are why we are here.
0: Those relationships are um, something that continues beyond this life and into the eternities. And I had not had that opportunity of finding someone to share that life with. And so the idea of marriage and family
1: were almost painful. And so I decided to kind of just Brush it off as much as I could. And I said, oh, yeah, well, who's going to take care of this baby? Because mom's going to work. And she's like, well, grandma did just retire. And I was like, what, you want to do daycare for this child? And she's like, yeah, like I'd be available to that. And I was like, okay, well, whatever. And just kind of pushed the idea out of my mind. We went to our class and went about our day, but the the thought wouldn't leave me. And so
0: early the next week, I got online and I started to research adoption. And I found out that it was very, very expensive,
1: that the average at that time was about $40,000. And I just, I knew there was no way that financially I could, I could do that. I, I couldn't do that. And so again, I tried to push the thought out of my mind. but it wouldn't go away. So I sent a message to two of my friends who I knew had adopted. One of them replied, told me her story. And I'd also asked about how they made the financial responsibility work out. And so she told me like their situation. And then she went
0: on to say, have you ever considered foster care? There are so many children in our state who need a loving home And if it leads to adoption, the
1: state helps cover the cost. I wasn't sure that that was for me. I didn't know a ton about adoption, but what I did know, I hadn't heard like many good things. But again, the thought wouldn't leave me. So I ended up being led to a website at utahfostercare.org. Utah Foster Care is a local nonprofit that was created with the purpose of helping to train, um, recruit, and help um, foster parents um, in the state of Utah be successful. I read everything I could, and I still had questions, so I filled out the form asking for someone to contact me. This
0: very nice woman reached out to me, and I made it very clear that I wasn't ready to be pushed, but I did have some questions and I wanted to go slow.
1: She was very respectful. And the very first question I had was, is this even possible as a single parent? She assured me that they had had uh, multiple
0: single parents before. They had been very successful. She went on to share that the things that would help like having a good support system and,
1: and things of that nature. And the more I thought about it and the more questions that she answered, I eventually felt like it was right to learn more. So I invited her over and we did a sit down discussion at my home and talked about all the different things related to what it would um, take for me to become a foster parent. She told me that For single parents, it usually took about six months to go through
0: the licensing process and getting approved because there were a set of pre-service classes that needed to be taken. There was background checks and home studies
1: and paperwork that all had to be done. The entire process took me one month. From the day I started, the day I finished was almost exactly one month I I completed everything by Halloween of that year. Everything just kind of fell into place. Like everything just kind of fit. It was like a puzzle that just molded into each other. And by Thanksgiving, I was waiting for my first placement. My
0: RFC, which is the Resource Family Consultant, came over. And they're kind of like a foster, they're a caseworker for the foster
1: family. They help you determine what kind of criteria you want to be considered for. They help you um, get access to anything that you might need when you have questions. They have they have a very important job. And so we sat down and decided what it was that I was willing to um. Be considered for in a placement. I could choose gender, ethnicity, age, um, other types of um, demographics and health issues and mental health related. I tried to leave myself pretty open, but I also wanted to be very honest about what I could handle as a single working mom. So my age range was from newborn to 12 years old, male or female. And I decided to start with one child because I wasn't sure what I could handle and I didn't want to overdo. I'm not going to say I patiently waited because I think it's hard to be patient when you're excited and terrified and all of those feelings wrapped up in one. But I got my first placement call in January of 2014 of a nine-year-old boy. And when you get that placement call from the coordinator, you they really have very limited information to give you. They only know what
0: the CPS worker has told them. And that's the Child Protective Services who has made the decision to remove the child from the home.
1: So you might know the reason for removal. Um, there might be some basic um, things like I knew that he had diagnosed, been diagnosed with ADHD but was being untreated and um, that there was some physical abuse. That's all I knew. And I, of course, was like, yes, let's do this. So they arranged with me to go and pick him up from the local shelter. It's called the Christmas Box House that evening. So I met the CPS worker there and this little boy who came with almost nothing. He had on jeans and a long sleeve shirt. He had tennis shoes with holes in the bottom in the middle of January, and he had a coat and a blanket he had gotten from the shelter. But that is all he had. That boy means the world to me even now, nine years later. He's the first person that ever called me mom. I will never forget that moment. I was sitting in Target, stopping with him to get something, and he turned and called me mom after a couple of days, and I felt like time kind of just stopped as I heard those words applied to me. Now, I'm sure you've all been in a store and heard a kid yell out, mom, or hey, mom, mom, but in that moment,
2: there was nothing better.
1: He gave me my first drawing that, was, that said, I love you, Mom. He made me things out of Legos. He got excited to see me when I picked him up from school.
2: And while all those
1: things happened and they were amazing, he opened my eyes to the pain of trauma and the anguish that he held from the abuse that he had gone through.
2: His case taught me
1: about compassion and empathy for the family that these kids come from, that their biological parents love them, even if they're not always the safest of options, and how much these children love their biological parents. He was with me for four months. And saying goodbye was extremely painful. And after he left, I wasn't sure I could do this again. I wasn't sure I was enough. I wasn't sure that I had the power to say goodbye, to love that much and say goodbye. I actually had someone once tell me
0: If it's easy to say goodbye, then you're not doing it right. And I do believe that because these children deserve all that love. As I was trying to decide how to go forward, I decided that I wanted to talk with my mom about it. She was my daycare,
1: as she had predicted. And she's also the other person that spent the most time with the children in my home.
0: And she also knew my thoughts and fears and feelings. better than probably anyone at that time. And she gave me advice that literally
1: would change my life and still does, even today. She told me she didn't think I should give up. She said, you don't know what child is out there waiting for you. There might be a child that needs you that hasn't even been born yet. And that just resonated with me. And then she went on to say, Allison, do not let your fears be bigger than your faith I believe you can do this and it gave me the courage to to decide that there was a reason that I had decided to become a foster parent and so I called my RFC up and I told her that I wanted to immediately be considered again and so she verified um, the criteria if I was still open for infants up to 12 and and I agreed Little did I know that my next placement was born two days later. My mom was right. The child that was supposed to be a part of my life, that I was supposed to have in my home, hadn't been born yet. And that little girl still calls me mom and is one of the greatest blessings of my life. When they called me about her, she was about two and a half to three weeks old had been born exposed to um, a mix of illegal drugs. And the plan was to have her removed from her parents and and work for reunification. Unfortunately, um, when people are using drugs such as heroin and meth, they are not always making the best of decisions because the drugs take over and cloud judgment. And in a desire to protect their, themselves and the baby, they snuck her out of the hospital and hid from the cops. But after a week of them trying to locate this child, they told me that I could still be considered, but they didn't know what was going to happen. All I knew was this baby's first name. And so I prayed for that little girl. And I can honestly say I'd never laid eyes on her yet, but I loved her so much. Eventually, I stopped waiting for the phone to ring. I, I guess I just didn't want to have my hopes dashed. I thought about her all the time. Three weeks after that initial call, um, I got another phone call from the placement coordinator. I thought she probably was going to tell me about another child that might need a home. Boy, was I pleasantly surprised when she simply said, they found her. Do you still want her? Of course I said yes. Heck, inside of me, I was screaming, yes, 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 yes. So she gave me the number for the caseworker. And a couple hours later, the caseworker showed up. this beautiful little girl with the whitest blonde hair so white you could barely see it she was tiny and asleep she's wrapped in this pink polka dotted blanket and when they laid her in my arms it was so i knew immediately that i wanted her to be mine that moment was so special I was so overwhelmed by all the emotions that I felt. I was ecstatic. I was scared. I was thrilled. I was terrified. And I quickly learned that I had no idea what I was doing. And the thing is, I think every new mom feels that way. They lay this beautiful, precious child in your arms. And then you realize that it's up to you to take care of it, keep it alive, and make sure that They were protected from anything and everything. So instead of sharing all the crazy things that I did those first few days, let's talk about some of the things that most of you probably haven't gone through. The first one is the fact that there is another person out there who loves that child just as much as you do. In my case, it was a 19-year-old girl And honestly, the two of us couldn't have been more different. It felt like we had nothing in common besides this little baby. About a week and a half after this baby came to live with me, we had what was called a team meeting, which is a meeting between the foster family, the biological family, the caseworkers, the um, RFC, everybody that's involved that is there to help this family figure out how they want to go forward. Throughout that entire meeting,
2: I was scared of mom.
1: It kind of felt like a threat to me. And looking back, it seems like such a foolish feeling.
2: She was defensive. Which, looking back, I understand it. I
1: was standing between her and her daughter. When the meeting was over, she was allowed a visit with the baby for the next hour. So I stayed and talked with the caseworker and and made plans for the next few weeks. When the visit ended, mom came out and handed me the baby. And I gave her a picture that I had taken the week previously of her. I looked her in the eye and said, don't worry about her. I'll make sure she's okay. Use this time to take care of you right now. Because she had some big steps that she had to take in order to get this beautiful baby back. Mom looked at me and said, I feel better now that I've met you. I didn't realize That would be the last time I'd see her during our case. She eventually stopped showing up for visits. And at the next hearing, she didn't show up at court. So the judge rescheduled. But then she didn't show up at that one either. The judge took away rights of services, which is where the state
0: offers to cover treatment or whatever was needed to help them overcome the challenges that were keeping the child out of the home. So now it was her responsibility. But she didn't even follow through on any of that either. So
1: eventually, the judge made the decision to terminate parental rights. If I'm honest, I was thrilled. I was ecstatic to finally be able to become the official mother of this beautiful little girl. And while I did rejoice on adoption day, I didn't realize at that time exactly what that meant. As my daughter grew, Other children came into my home. Those cases were different because I started to learn to have compassion on the biological family and the situations that they were in. The situations weren't black and white anymore. There was a lot of gray. And some of the children were able to return home. Others moved on to other family members, but everything changed with my sixth placement. I received a phone call that my daughter, now was three years old, had a baby sister that had just been born, and this little girl had also been born addicted to um, to drugs, and they wanted to bring her into care. The difference in this case is that once a parent has their parental rights terminated, the state will often immediately open a case with any new child. And oftentimes reunification and services aren't offered. And that's what the caseworkers thought would happen. But things didn't go the way that they thought it would. The judge didn't remember everything about this case. And they offered the mom the opportunity to go through treatment. I was scared. What did this mean? All I wanted was these two little girls who already were showing so much love to each other. To have that opportunity to be together. Within a week, mom was in treatment and we had our first team meeting. This time it was different though. We had to do it over the phone because she was in the part of treatment where she was going through the withdrawal process. And so they were not allowed visit and outside um, interaction. So we did the whole thing over the phone. And I remember When she first talked to me on that meeting, she said, are they together? And I said, yeah, they are. And she goes, then I'm not worried. In that moment, my heart just leaped in my chest as I remembered that young girl. She was a little older, obviously, as my daughter was now three. As they went through her situation and talked about supports and different things, I realized she didn't really have a lot of support because her family had been burned by others who had also gone down the similar path. They loved her, but
2: they couldn't be a part of it.
1: That stayed with me. It bothered me a lot, actually. And I remember making the decision that for the benefit of my daughter, I needed to do everything in my power to help her. And that was scary. I, I was terrified at the idea. And I questioned my sanity a few times. But I now know that that was a prompting from Heavenly Father. I talked with a caseworker who agreed with what I was about to offer, and BioMom mom and I sat and talked one day, and I offered to be her support as she tried to overcome her addictions. She told me that she wasn't even sure she could do it. She wasn't sure if she could be a mom even. I said, well, I think you owe it to yourself and to this little girl to find out. That little girl stayed with me for about two and a half months and then transitioned into treatment to be with mom. That was hard. It was hard to hand her over, and I started to sob. But in such a short time, I had come to love her
2: mom. We both loved both girls. I kept wondering if she'd mess up. Part of me wanted her to, but a bigger part wanted her to succeed. And succeed, she did. She finished treatment. Went to day treatment,
1: got her own place, eventually graduated drug court. It wasn't always easy. There were bumps in the road. But I
2: came to truly love that woman.
1: And there's a lot more to our story, which I'll share again, or share with you at another time.
2: But here's what I've learned. In order for me to have
1: my beautiful daughter, someone else had to give up something, something pretty major. And even though my daughter was a tiny baby, I still see the ramifications of that loss on her. I don't even think she realizes it, but I see it in her relationships and the way she interacts with people, including myself. She doesn't trust easily, and it takes a lot for her to decide to give you a hug. So yes, children are resilient, but the loss of her first family is a permanent scar that she'll carry with her for the rest of her life. One that she doesn't remember getting. I continued to do foster care. Another little baby girl came into my life in the form of my eighth placement. Like my daughter, she was tiny. She'd been born exposed to a combination of drugs, a different set than my other daughter had. But that's where the similarities ended. Physically, these two could have not been more different. Well. My now four-year-old had white blonde hair and big blue eyes and pale, pale skin. This one had a light brown complexion with a head full of thick black hair that stuck straight up on her head. And the largest cocoa brown eyes you've ever seen. My four-year-old was so excited
2: to be a sister. And I loved watching them together. And when I first met her, I felt something I had not felt since
1: I'd first met my older daughter. Something told me that this child was meant to be mine. This case was completely different than the other one. In the first case, mom had just stopped showing up for everything. This time, mom and dad were at every visit.
2: But that was it. They had support, but they weren't following through on anything else.
1: And so this case extended out. Through the full course of a year. With the
2: smallest steps being done. I was scared for this little girl. Well, I
1: knew that her parents loved her. I knew that they weren't ready to provide a safe home for her. There was a lot of denial, which sadly comes with addiction.
2: And in this case,
1: I knew a whole lot more than I had before, because I'd seen all the different things
2: in my other cases. Of the specifics in this particular case really matter
1: But eventually, the parents relinquished their rights because they knew that this, that they were
2: out of time.
1: And I will never forget the day that they made that decision as I stood outside of the courtroom and they opened those doors and mom and I looked at each other in the face and she started to sob. And she said, please take care of her, make sure she's
2: okay. And we hugged each other. And while I was grateful that this beautiful little girl was gonna be safe, And then I got to watch her grow.
1: I grieved so much that day. A grief that I had never truly felt or understood before. Um, I did try to keep in touch with her mom and dad. And we have a beautiful relationship with her grandparents and great-grandparents and some other family members but this story didn't end the same way as my other daughters. Unfortunately, bio mom lost her battle with addiction as she um, left this life. Her funeral was held exactly 18 months to the day of the last time she had seen our daughter. Dad had been making a lot of progress, and I was so proud of him. But this loss of his partner seems to have been too much. I don't know where he is right now. And I pray for him regularly, and I think about him. But remember how I said that adoption isn't necessarily a new beginning? And it's not a happy ending either.
2: It is simply a
1: bittersweet stepping stone on a journey. Both of these girls that I get to call mine, who every day call me mom, had to go through the loss of their first families that loss will forever be with them. It will forever impact the biological parents and the others in that family that loved them,
2: including their siblings. And even for me, who had everything to gain, I feel that loss. I feel the trauma that adoption brings.
1: So, yes, I am so grateful for adoption and the part that it plays in the growth of my family. But I'm not the same person I was when I
2: started my journey with adoption.
1: I've learned that adoption allows families to grow, but our families grow with more than just. The child, our family grew
2: with the addition of other parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles,
1: siblings. My big, beautiful, blended family is not what I ever could have imagined.
2: But adoption has
1: blessed my life in ways that I could have never understood nine years ago. I'm grateful for these other people who love my children. I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned that have opened my heart and home to people I never could have imagined. I'm grateful to the other foster and adoptive families that I've gone on this journey with, who we have supported each other through the ups and downs of what adoption is. But as a piece of our story with adoption and foster care, adoption is not the same for every family and every child. So, this National Adoption Month, I would like to encourage you if you've ever considered adoption or becoming a foster parent, to take the time to learn more and find out if this was something you were meant to do. If you live in the state of Utah, go to utahfostercare.org. There are specialists who are there to answer your questions and to provide you with everything you would need to know. If you live outside of Utah, there are other resources throughout the nation to help you. You can visit adoptuskids.org to get more questions answered and find a, a program
0: in your area. In the year 2021, there were over 114,000 children and youth waiting to be adopted. Some risk aging out of the system without permanent family connections.
1: And the average time that they spent in foster care waiting for adoption was 34 months. 34 months without a place to call home. And these children range in age from infant all the way up to adult. And if foster care and adoption isn't the path for you, there are other ways that you can help support these children. Reach out to your local organization and just ask what you can do to help. Thank you for taking a moment to
0: let your heart grow. I hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave me a review wherever you are listening. And if you could, I'd love it if you would share this episode with friends and others who might be interested in this topic. I look forward to having you join me in two weeks for the next one. The easiest way to know when I have a new episode is to subscribe. So go over there and click that button. Until that time, please get in touch. I love hearing feedback and getting to know my listeners. Seriously, it is like making new friends. You can get in touch by visiting my website at letyourheartgrow.com where you can leave comments or stop by my social media accounts come chat. Let me know what topics you would like to see covered in future episodes and let me get to know you better. Thanks again and we'll see you soon.